0: the opportunity to be together, to be in your presence. Lord, we know we live in your presence. It's not that, but in yet there's something special about coming together as your children around your word, uh, knowing that your spirit is here to lead us, that your grace is here to impart truth to us. God, we just ask that you would, would give us uh, a new love for you and you love for your word this morning, a deeper understanding of your word. And Lord, not just so that we can uh, add knowledge to knowledge, but so that we can be changed and transformed more into your likeness for your glory and for our good. We thank you for this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. You know, every every detail that God has planned for the nation of Israel was set in place at the beginning, wasn't it? God knew exactly before the foundation of the world exactly what he wanted to accomplish, how he was going to accomplish it. And the word tells us that in the end time, when it's all over and it's just beginning, that God will have accomplished every single detail of his plan, everything that he wants to do. His the unfolding of his plan is, is perfect. He works with precision. The timing is perfect. Every detail is perfect. And as God has done for many centuries, God chooses people, groups of people, individuals through whom he wants to work. Through whom he, he, he works his plan. And, of course, in First Samuel, we've been seeing how God chose a, a man, a woman, and a, and a little boy to, to work through and to bring his plan to fruition. So God is preparing Elkanah and Hannah and Samuel. He's preparing to serve God's people. And also to to honor God, of course, through doing that. And we've seen him that he is molding and shaping and equipping this family so that they will be totally prepared for what he wants to do in their lives. You know, God never sends out his servants ill-prepared or ill-equipped. You know, I've been been thinking about the cops so much the last couple of weeks and studying this, and they get ready to go to, to Africa. What confidence, you know, Damon can blow it big time, but God's going to get him there and God's going to. Sorry, Damon. I mean, you're human. I've known you too long. Um, no, you know, he didn't have to worry about that. As long as he is seeking God, seeking God's will, as long as he's open to do what God asks him to do, he can rest assured that when he steps his foot on Africa, God will have done everything he wants to do in his life in Jen's life in the children's lives now it may not look that way when he gets over there and he says whoops I forgot to do this or but all of that is in God's plan God works perfectly in time and in uh, to do all that he wants to do so Elkanah we saw and have seen in the last weeks was a strong godly committed father you know, he was committed to his family. He was committed to the Lord's word, uh, word, will for his life. Hannah, oh boy, I tell you, you just can't, you just can't read and study First Samuel without growing in your admiration, you know, for Hannah. I think that probably if um, uh, if Paul had been asked to uh, give a description of Hannah. I think he would have said that she was a vessel of honor sanctified useful to her master and prepared for every good work she was a a, a work of god that was was tremendous and strong that she was a faithful woman a committed woman but again god knew what he wanted to do through her life god knew what he was going to call on her to do and he's he's preparing her for that and then of course little samuel coming along Samuel towers above uh, most godly man in strength and in, and in commitment um, he was a, a man mightily used of God uh, personally and also to place into positions of godly authority kings and, and others that, um, that God wanted to, to use. So everything is going along. Everything is in God's it's in, uh, happening in God's timing. Every person, every player on the stage, so to speak, is, is equipped. And we're at a crossroads in the life of Samuel and the nation of Israel right now in the second chapter of First Samuel. But there's one issue, one need that has got to be settled before we go any further. Okay. God's plan is being worked out. But in 2 Samuel, we come face to face with a problem. Not a problem for God, but a problem that could cause God's people to fall or to, um, to stumble. And that problem is Eli and his two sons. Okay? Now, the nation of Israel, I'm picking up with the notes that you have there, the nation of Israel was chosen by God out of all the earth to be a kingdom of priests in a holy nation. The tabernacle in Shiloh was set up as God's dwelling place among his people. The young priests were charged with, solemn, with a solemn duty to teach the people God's law and to lead them in worship as they, were, uh, as they offered sacrifices for the atonement of the people's sins. But the priesthood in Eli's day became a national scandal and a disgrace. Eli and his sons were a disgrace before the Lord. They were sinful. They were leading the people into sin. They were terrible examples of what godly men should be. And we're going to see that God is going to deal with them before he goes any further with with Eli. Now, it's not a pretty picture. And today's lesson is not going to be well, it will be uplifting, but we're going to see how God deals very forcefully, very decidedly with sin. There's one thing I want you to realize as we go. We'll be in second 1 Samuel 2. We talked about this last week, but I want to remind you there there are two tracks, if you will, running parallel in this chapter. In one case, God is working to prepare Samuel, little Samuel, little, as far as we know, three-year-old Samuel has come on the scene. There's also a second track running down next to that, parallel with that, and it's the life of Eli and his sons. And Satan's got control of that train. He's He's heading for destruction. But you need to realize that even as sinful as Eli was, as, as as bad as his influence was on the on the nation, God had his man in place doing his will. That's really important to remember. In our, in our world today, we see look around us, and there are more Eli's that seem like than 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 God can handle, even. The the evil that's around us. But God's on track. Look at we're going to bounce back and forth to show you. In uh, chapter 2, verse 11, it says, The boy ministered to the Lord. Okay, here we are on the Lord's track. Eli's moving through. He's, he's on the scene now. His mother has left him uh, at the temple, and he's ministering to the Lord. Verse 12, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. Right alongside of this little boy that God's going to use, and that God's going to bring to the forefront, is this evil man and his two, two sons who are doing everything they can to destroy God's work. But then look on verse 18. It says, Now Samuel ministered before the Lord as a boy, wearing an evil. Here we go again. Has God on track? God has got his man. God is moving along to fulfill his will. Verse 24. We are back to, to, to Eli. Now Eli was very old and he heard that all that his sons was, were doing in Israel. and it was the sin and all that was going on. But then, back to verse 26, we see now that Samuel was growing in stature and in favor with the Lord and and with men. And then, again, in the latter part of chapter 2, we see the sin exposed, the sin judged in Eli and his sons. So even though the the sins of Eli and his boys seemed to take precedent in society, or to seem to be the more outstanding things going on. It was God's power, God's working quietly in the life of this little boy, that was God's plan, that was God's track. If we had lived in the days of of Eli in that society, we probably wouldn't even have noticed this little guy that, that the Lord's bringing along. You know, if we did, it would probably be, who's that kid that's always hanging around the temple, you know? And yet that was Almighty God working and working his power in, in, in the weakness of, of a little child. You know, we would have seen Eli, we would have seen his sons, we would have seen the evil that was being broadcast, that was being planned, that was being accomplished, and that might have caught our attention. But that's not the real reality of what's going on. The reality is that God has got his man, God's on his throne, God's moving his people in the way that he wants them to go. God is in control. And that's what we need to see. In our society, you know, we look at the evil that's going on around us. And very often that catches our attention and we think, Oh, what are we going to do? We throw up our hands. You know, the world's going to the devil where it is, you know, he can have it, but um, God's, God will accomplish his purpose. So let's see how, how he works with Eli. Let's look at uh, chapter 2. We're going to read uh, verses 12 through 17 and then 22. And we're going to look first at the sinfulness of Eli's sons. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord and the custom of the priest with the people. When a man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the can, pan or kettle or cauldron or pot and, and all that the fork brought up the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, they... they um, Before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take bald meat from you, only raw. And if the man said to him, They must surely burn the fat first, and then take as much as you desire, then they would say to him, No, but you shall give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, and the men despi- uh, for the man despised key word, the man despised the offering of the Lord and then in twenty two and now Eli was very old and he heard all that his sons were doing in all Israel and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting so has a, a little introduction to these sons um, and what they were like. First off, in, in chapter 2, verse 12, he says that they did not know the Lord. Okay? Now, we're going to come back to the first description, but I think it's first. It's important for us to understand that, that they did not know the Lord. Now, here were, this, as parents, this ought to strike terror in our hearts because here were, here were two boys who had, quote, grown up in the church. You know, they literally lived in the temple. Uh, with their father. They had been exposed from day one to all that was involved in the sacrifices and 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 in the godly worship that was going on there. And yet in spite of all that they had been exposed to, they did not know the Lord. You know? How cautious we need to be in our own families, right? That that our children truly do know the Lord. There's a big, big difference Between knowing facts about God, you know, and knowing God in our heart. But they didn't know the Lord. Uh, Jeremiah 2 says, looking on the priesthood at a different time, but it says, the priest did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handle the Lord do, do not know him. The rulers transgressed against me and the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that did not profit. Therefore, I will yet contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your sons I will contend. Another example of the fact that the priests who were representing God to the people, who were teaching the people God's law, they didn't even know him. In their own heart, they didn't know him. So this was part of the the background uh, and the reality of of Eli and his sons, they did not know the Lord. But then also it says that they were uh in verse twelve, they were worthless men. Okay? Now that we need to understand what that term means because sometimes um you know in, in joking we'll say, well, you know, he's not worth anything or or we'll we'll see a person who we consider worthless and um it's not that they are grossly evil so much as the fact that maybe it's a person who, who just doesn't make any contribution. You know, Maybe he's a worthless husband because he doesn't work or he's a worthless father because he takes no interest in his children. But this word worthless is used elsewhere in the scriptures for destruction and wickedness and rebellion. Okay? It's a very evil situation. They were evil, evil men. They did not know the Lord, and they were worthless men. And I'm sure the one plays off of the other. They were worthless because they didn't know the Lord, okay? And they didn't know the Lord because they were worthless. So it's kind of a you know, back and forth. But it went further than that. It says that, that they despised um, the... Um, mind back on track here. Uh, they were worthless men that did not know the Lord, or they did not know the custom of the priest with the people. Okay? They did not know the custom of the priest with the people. And I think this rep this uh, relates to the fact of of the offerings, the way the, the Lord would have those to be to be given, to be offered. In in Leviticus 3, the the Lord had spelled out very plainly how he wanted these offerings to be presented it was no small thing i mean these offerings pictured the the sacrifice that one day would be made on the cross they pictured the holiness the absolute holiness that god demanded uh from his people and yet they would they would despise them god had set it up so that when um when an offering was made, the the um, the fat of the animal, okay, was considered the most desirable part. Now, for some of us, that's still the case today, isn't it? You know, but um, but in this case, it was it was a whole it was a different deal. The, the The fat was considered to be the choicest part, so that was the part that was always given to the Lord, and it was given to the Lord by being offered on the on the fire and that smoke would consume that fat the the smoke would go up The fire would consume the fat the smoke would go up and it was an offering it was a picture of an offering to the Lord well you know when you when you go to you ladies when you go to buy a piece of choice meat you want it marbled with fat don't you I mean that adds flavor to the meat so you know Eli's sons same thing I mean that God said that, that the meat was the fat was to be offered to the Lord on the fire, the meat was to be boiled, and then at some point after that the priests were able to, to take certain portions of it, and that was payment for them. That was the way that they lived. Okay, they didn't have jobs like most men would have. So they but they wanted to bypass that. They wanted the choicest part for themselves. They wanted the fat. They wanted the meat with the um, uh, with the fat still on it. They wanted it before it was boiled, and they were determined to get it. You know, and it wasn't just a case of of wanting something that tasted better, but they showed disregard for what God um, what God wanted. The fact that that the the the, uh, the fat offered as God had had ordained it was a way of honoring him so um they would they would come along and demand raw meat and when the people would say well no that's that's not according to God's law we must first um you know offer the fat to the lord we must first boil it they would say forget it i'm going to take it and they would just even force um threaten to uh, the uh the people there to forcefully take the meat from them if if they wouldn't give them what they wanted well um that was despising the offering of the lord you know that was just i don't know how how else to describe it to think of, of doing holy god in that way you know things today we don't have we don't have uh, sacrifices thank goodness but I know some years ago heard of a church knew of a church where the pastor got to the point where when the offering was taken each Sunday morning the offering had to come to him he literally took it home decided what he wanted to do with it and then he would deposit in the bank what he wanted to deposit in the bank that he wanted to deposit it, in. well needless to say that didn't last for long but it's the same type of thing it's just showing such disrespect now here's has funds that, that people have have given to honor God here are the sacrifices that key people have brought with a heart's desire to be obedient and honoring to God and they just treat it like it was garbage okay he, they despise the offering of the Lord and then of course um In um, verse 22, uh, we see the gross immorality where uh, verse 22 says um, how they said the sons were doing to all of Israel and how they lay with the women who served in the doorway of the tent of meeting. I mean, here again, can you imagine something more blatantly disrespectful to God? And something like this going on right in the place, the place where the Holy of Holies was located, you know, and it was to be a godly place. So the the people, the sons of Eli were were grossly uh, sinful people. And God was going to deal with it. You know, sometimes we think God's turning and looking the other way, but he's not, and he's not for long. And we're going to see that, that God's going to deal with this. But then also we see, uh, and, and back up for just a minute, it was not only Eli's sons, but also Eli himself was obviously involved in, in this. Um, there was a compromise of Eli. Man, Eli was a man of compromise. Um, let's look at uh, 22 through 25 and then 29. It says, now Eli was very old and he heard all that the sons were doing in, uh, to all Israel and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of the meeting. And he said to them, why do you not, why do you do such things? The evil things that I hear from all the people, it was broadcast, everybody knew what was going on. Know my sons for the report about, the report is not good which I hear from the Lord's I hear the Lord's people circulating if a man sins against God excuse me I'm running ahead of myself this morning. if the man sins against another God will, med- will meditate med- mediate for him and if a man sins against the Lord who can intercede for him but uh, he would not listen to them to the, to, would not listen to the voice of their father for the Lord had desired to put them to death and then in verse 29, uh, it says, uh, He says, Why do you kick against my sacrifice and at my offerings which I have commanded in my dwelling and honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choices of everything, of every offering of my people Israel? So there was a fault, too, with, with Eli um, and his compromise with his sons. First off, Eli knew full well what was going on with his sons. You know, all of Israel knew, and yet he didn't. He didn't. He didn't intercede. Okay, there was a point where he went to them, and he said, "You know, why are you doing these things? You know, these these evil things that you're doing are um, are known all over Israel. And why are you doing them?" And I've often wondered through the years what was that not. What he I mean, was—that not a rebuke enough? I mean, God holds Eli accountable that he didn't rebuke his sons, and yet we see that he um, he at least went to them and told them that what they were doing was wrong. Is that what we need? To, is that all that we need to do with our children? What I see this time is that that was not wrong, but Eli did not come go far enough in his rebuke. He should have stopped it. He should have stopped it. Um, he should have taken them out of the priesthood. You know, and and that's a pretty pretty harsh thing to have to do. But when God's honor and God's glory are at stake, we have to deal with it the way we have to deal with it. That, you know, as I was thinking this week in, in coming to this full understanding of this, that you know as elders. We we better that was that's like a shot across the bow to me. You know, when we know that something is going on and there's a time to confront, you know, Matthew eighteen, there's a time to 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 be nice and there's a time to be gracious, but there's also a time when God would have us to deal with things. And that's exactly where Eli is. Okay. Eli honored his sons above God yeah. and as a priest and we've already talked about this some. he, would, uh, he said that the New American Standard says to, to kick at the sacrifice that literally means to scorn or to treat it with contempt and that's what they were doing in um, in their uh, in his compromise with his sons and with all that was going on you know, if he didn't, didn't believe the sacrifices to be, uh, and the offerings and all, to be more important than the way he was treating them, then he wasn't, he didn't understand God. He didn't understand the purpose behind the sacrifices and the, the services in the temple and the way that they honored God in the Holy of Holies and all. So part of the problem was the sinfulness of Eli and his sons, part of the problem was the fact that Eli did not confront his sons the way he should have. He should have moved in. He should have used his authority to remove them. Okay? And in doing so, he would have shown his love for God, his commitment to God, even about his own children. That would be a very difficult thing to do. But we've known families that have had to do that. You know, And um, the children push them just beyond the point that God is, is a for the parents to go. So we see the sinfulness of, of Eli and his sons, the compliments of Eli. And then finally we see God's judgment. Because the day is going to come when God is going to judge his people, when God is going to intervene. You know, God will often give the authorities that he has established in a situation an opportunity to to represent him. And to be involved, but then if they don't do it, there's a time when God will step in and see that it is done. And we see that in verses 27 and 28. He says, then a man of God came to Eli, we don't know who that was, man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord. Now we're going to see God's grace extended to begin with. He says, Did I not indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when you were in Egypt in bondage to to Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose them from the tribes of Israel to be my priests and to go up to my altar and to burn incense to carry the ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel? And he says, what? I'm sorry, that's where we need to stop right there. So, he, three things he did in extending his grace to the house of Israel. Um, first off, he revealed himself to Aaron. Okay? Uh, verse 27 Did I not reveal myself uh, to the house of your father when you were in Egypt? So, he's, he's basically talking about the time that when they were in Egypt and God revealed himself, he gave them. Uh, he 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 chose them as his people. Okay, he set his love upon them. He set his commitment upon them. He set his purpose upon them. He said, "I revealed myself to you." He made himself known in a, in a very personal way. And then he said in verse twenty-eight, he said, "Did I not choose them from among all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to go up to my altar to burn incense?" It was a tremendous privilege that this tribe had to represent God, to be God's spokesman to his people, okay? To come into God's presence to represent him. He said, I I revealed myself to you, okay? I, I chose you, okay? And then he said, I gave, he said, did I not give the house of your father all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel? You know, he gave uh, the privileges of the priesthood to, to that tribe. You know, the, the burning of incense, the serving at the altar, the wearing of the ephod, the, the, the enjoying of the, the food offerings. You know, as, a, as, a, as a priesthood, the priests were qualified to take part of the offerings. God specified how, how they were to do it and what they were to take. But they were basically supported by the local church. It's what it really boils down to. And that was a privilege on their part. Okay? And so God's reminding them, you know, I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to hold you accountable. but You need to remember what I have done for you up to this point. You know, I have been, I have um, revealed myself. I have chosen you. And I have given you great privilege about everyone else. And to those who are given... More, more is required, right? You have authority, you, you're more accountable. You have privilege, God holds you more accountable. So that's what he's going to do to his people. But then he, um, he acknowledges the wrong that they have done. In verse 29, he says, Therefore, in light of my choosing you, of all that I've given you, And therefore, in verse 29, he says, um, Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling? And you honor your sons above me by making yourself fat with the choices of every offering of my people Israel. Okay, the accusation is, Why then, with all the privileges that I've given you, why do you kick at my sacrifice? And these really are kind of repeats of what we've already covered. Um, but again, the word kick is to disdain or scorn. Okay. Why do you honor your sons above me? And why do you make yourself fat with the choices of every offering, showing disrespect by demanding the portions of the sacrifice reserved for God? So he, he, he reminds them of his faithfulness to them, of all that he's given them. He, he makes sure that they understand, again, what the charge is against them. You know, when, you, when you're disciplining a child, you know, you, you make sure that child understands why they're getting that spanking, right? So he, uh, he uh, tells them uh, exactly why he's doing it. Um, and the bottom line really is that that they're not honoring God. You know, if they had honored God the way they should, then they wouldn't have gotten into that gross sin that they had. They would not be living the way that they did. So then in verses 30 through 34 and 36, God declares his judgment on his people and what he's going to do to the house of Elam. Verse 30 says therefore the Lord God of Israel declares I will indeed say that your house and the house I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever but now the Lord declares far be it from me for those who honor me there's that bottom line for those who honor me I will honor and those who despise me I will lightly esteem behold the days are coming when I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house. So that there will not be an old man in your house. You will see the distress of my dwelling. In spite of all the good that I do for Israel. And an old man will not be in your house forever. Yet I will not carry out. That I will not carry off every man of yours. Uh, from my altar. So that your eyes will will fail from weeping and your soul grieve, and all the increase of your house will die in the prime of, of life. There in that one verse, we see really grace shown in the midst of judgment. This will be the sign to you which I will come, after I will, this will be the sign to you which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phineas. on the same day both of them will die. And then in verse 36, everyone who is left in your house Will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and say, "Please assign me one of the priest offices so that I may eat a piece of bread." So God's judgment finally falls on this house of Eli. God has is on a bound to remove the sin that is that is polluting His people. Okay, the sin that that is. Um, really sin in the midst of the camp, you know, as as God has spoken earlier in the days of Egypt. God can't allow sin like that to to stand because it's going to affect his people. It's going to pollute his people as well as his, um, uh, his relationship with them, God's relationship with them. But judgment is declared in verse 30. He says, those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me, will be lightly esteemed. And then in verse 25, it says that the Lord desired to put them to death. Now scripture elsewhere tells us that God does not desire the death of his godly ones. But of course these were not his godly ones. God will honor his name. God will honor his holiness above all else. Someone can remain so firm this is a quote from Dale Evans, one of the commentators I'm using. He's talking about the God putting him to death. He said, Someone can remain so firm in his rebellion that God will confirm him in it. That is scary, folks. That should scare us to death. Someone can remain so firm in his rebellion that God will confirm him in it. So much so that he will remain utterly deaf and unmoved by any warnings of judgment or pleas or repentance. Our place is not to question or to comprehend, but to tremble at this, to tremble before a God who can justly make sinners deaf to the very call to repentance. There's a time when we push God too far. There's a time that they can happen to where um, uh, that, that we're, we're close to God's word. you know. We're close to his speaking to us. There's a time when God says, enough is enough. You know? Now, God's a God of mercy, and God's a God of grace. And that, and that point doesn't come very quickly in the lives of his people. But we need to know that that time can come. And that time will come if we don't repent. So he told them, he said that he would, verse 25, he said, but the Lord desired to put them to death. They had crossed over that boundary. And he said, and I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house, and there will not be an old man in your house. That judgment was going to go beyond just those those boys, so to speak, that judgment would go down through generations as God would, would not that he holds one generation responsible for the sins of another. I'm not saying that. But that does affect future generations. Each man stands or falls based on his own sin and his own repentance. And then in verse 36, part of that out working of the curse he says in verse 36 everyone left in Eli's house will beg for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread he had taken the priesthood away from them and the priesthood was a form of of a living to them the rest of the people of Israel had to go out and and make a living so to speak but God allowed the Levites to to take their living from the, uh, the offerings just like today the man our pastors take his off his living from, uh, from the church, but um, part of that judgment would be that they would they would hunger and they would they would beg for food, so to speak. And as a final uh, stamp of his authority, so to speak, on this decision, his will, he says that. As a sign to you, Hophni and Phineas, on the same day, both of them will die. And we know in chapter 4, 11, which we're working towards, we know that both of them died in battle. And when the word came back to Eli, Eli was sitting on the, the bench. Apparently, Eli was so fat because of his his indulgence and in the illegal offerings and all, He fell over backwards, and he broke his neck, and he died all in the same day to confirm God's judgment, to confirm God's will. And, you know, um, we read things like this, and they seem so far away from us But we really need to be cautious. We really need to be thoughtful. To realize that the God we serve today is the same God that then, back then. He's a God of grace, he's a God of love, He's a God of mercy, He's also a God of judgment. We contrast what happened in their life to the life of, of Samuel. And in 226, it says, Now the boy Samuel was growing in stature and in favor with both the Lord and with men. So God's grace was upon him. God was pouring out his grace. If we look at, again, comparisons in the book of 1 Samuel, teaches so much. If we look at um, bottom of page 8 there, for Samuel, his obedience his openness, his willingness in contrast to Hophni and Phinehas. Samuel enjoyed his mother's love, his father's love. Okay. He was secure in that. For Hophni and Phinehas, they just brought the father sorrow. Even though he was involved, the father was involved in it, they brought sorrow into his life. For Samuel, Eli from Eli he received a, a blessing. Now, even though, it's, and this shows you God's authority, even though Eli was such a sinful, horrible man, because he was in a position of authority as a priest, he was able to, and to bless uh, Samuel, and God honored that blessing. Because, not because Eli was worthy of it, but because of the position of authority he had. So Samuel received Eli's blessing His sons received his rebuke. Samuel received Eli's provision of life, uh, Yahweh's provision of life. Hophni and Phinehas received Yahweh's purpose of death. And then uh, Scripture tells us that Samuel continued to grow before the Lord. God's judgment fell on Hophni and Phinehas. It's back to the reap and sow. You know? We think we can do evil. We think we can do something that's wrong. We can get by with it. We think that God is just winking at us. Okay? Not the case. We see that played out in the life of Eli, in the life of, excuse me, in the life of um, Samuel, and then in the life of Hoffman and Phineas. They received from what they reaped. They reaped from what they, they sowed. But then in, in verse 35, there's a, a, a hope. There's hope through the whole chapter, but especially in verse 35. He says, but I will raise up for myself, in contrast now to, to, to uh, Eli and his family, he says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to all that is in my heart and in my soul. And I will build him an enduring house and he will walk before my anointed always. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. And you know, our, heart, our minds go directly to Samuel because that's who we've been dealing with. But Samuel wasn't a priest. If you, if you um, look at chapter 3 verse 20, it says, All Israel from Dan even to Bathsheba knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet before the Lord. Samuel was not part of the priesthood. He was not of that tribe. He was he was a prophet. He served as a prophet. So how do we take that? How do we take that blessing? Where does it come back up? I can only tell you what I read. You know, that's I'm totally ignorant. I just take what somebody else knows and and uh, relay it to you. he's talking about a faithful priest. You have to look down the generations. For several generations, God is still bringing to bear on the on the uh, family of Eli this curse that, that, that he brought on himself. But when you get down to to Solomon, okay, when you get down to Solomon, there is a f- faithful priest who in First Kings is identified as being the result of this of, of Eli and the, the uh, situation there, and you notice it says so Solomon dismissed Abathor, who was one of Eli's descendants. Okay, has, has the 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 fulfillment of that uh, prophecy that uh, the men would die or be removed uh, before they got old. So Solomon dismissed Abathar, Eli's descendant, from being priest to the Lord in order to fulfill, here we go, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord which he had spoken concerning the house of Eli and Shiloh. There's a connection. The king appointed Zadok, the priest, in the place of Abathar. So in verse 35, God promised that he would raise up for himself a faithful priest, okay, a faithful priest to do according to all of his heart and according to all of his will, and that he did in in Zadok. Okay? That he did in Zadok. And then he said, I will build an enduring house, and he will walk before me in all of his ways. The, the priesthood in, in Eli and his descendants was kind of derailed for a period of time. And, but God God is reestablishing that in Zadok. Yahweh's kingdom and people may suffer from arrogant, immoral, unrepentant priests, but Yahweh will have a faithful priest. He will have proper leadership for his flock. Although Samuel turned out... Um, Although Samuel turned out to function more as a prophet than a priest, there is no doubt that that the um, demise of Eli and Shiloh, Samuel will take over priestly functions and will be faithful in them. He will indeed do what what is in my heart and in my mind, which is what the Lord wanted. He wasn't a priest, but he was one who interceded for the Lord. He was one who interceded for his people. He wasn't in an official priestly role, but all of us are priests and that we have access to God, okay, and God blesses. You know, when we started the study a few weeks ago, we said that in the book of Samuel, one of the significant things is that the people were so insignificant people God uses were really insignificant people. Samuel had no royal genealogy. He had no higher education. He had no financial backing as such. But he and his family were people that God blessed, that God put his hand on and chose and equipped to be his people. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, especially when we talk, think in terms of, of ministry and, and service, Second Corinthians 2 yeah, Corinthians eight five, that says, um, first they gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of the Lord." You know, that's the key. You know, how do I serve in my church? Where do I minister? What do I do? First we give ourselves to the Lord, and then to whoever God gives us by the will of the Lord. And I think that's what Samuel did. You know, he didn't know that verse, obviously, but that's a principle that's of God that's true. You know, Second Corinthians 8.5 First he gave himself to the Lord, and then to us by the will of the Lord. God's man for a very pivotal point in history was a man Just like you and me, we have a tendency to put them on pedestals. But they're people that God chooses to use. And when God chooses to use, God equips and supports. And God pours out his grace in our lives. And that's all we've got. That's all we need. God's grace is what we need. And our time is up. Damon, would you pray for us?